Let's face it, stress is not new to our lives, but this year has produced a few curveballs that are simply unusual. Isolation for some and too much togetherness for others. Finding and keeping a new rhythm that is healthy and fulfilling can be a daily challenge. Today on The Backyard Buddhist, we're talking about how to meditate and practice when things really suck. I'm Ron Powell McLean. Hello to my buddy and co-host, Danny Hobart. Hey, Dan. What's going on, Powell? You know, <laughs> having a day, doing the thing. Having a day, having a week, having a two months, having a three months, having a several years for some of us. Yeah. I have a bit of restlessness this week and the continual sort of quickness of the days, like, and they're starting to blur together that they all sort of look like the same day. <laughs> I've been, I've been walking a little, uh, getting outside and, you know, I say a little bit walking between you know, three and six miles a day and it's nice. It's nice to get out of the surroundings, but of course I'm patterned. So I walk the same way and I was literally sitting on the couch last night and I'd had a really busy day with um, doing stuff. And I looked at my, my watch that, you know, does my, step counting for me and I was like did I walk today I it doesn't look like I walked today and lo and behold I had not walked <laughs> <laughs> I had done stuff so I had about I don't know two-thirds of the steps that I that I was needing to get but I just couldn't for the life of me remember whether I had actually gone for a walk <laughs> so yeah. A little bit restless with that. I my schedule has been totally off, which adds to the uncertainty of of the day to day. I pretty much live between court dates. You know, my type of practice. I just go to court a lot, and without court dates, which this is the longest stretch in twenty plus years that I have not physically gone to a court boy, it has been bizarre and hard to keep up with. So I can, I can definitely empath, empathize with the restlessness. Yeah. Which, you know, brings us a little bit to our topic, like, you know, how do we work with it and what do we do with that restlessness? So for me, when I'm sitting each day, so when I'm approaching my, my meditation time, my practice time, I first do a bit of chanting. Well, I, I say first, but sometimes second. Somewhere first or second, I am asking myself, where am I finding discomfort? Where am I dissatisfied? What is my particular suffering at that moment? And... I really like to sort of grab the thing that's closest to me. So sometimes it's a physical pain. Um, sometimes it's something like restlessness or agitation that I can really put my finger on. That's the thing that I'm experiencing right now. 
and you know the recipe for the liberation from that that we get from the buddhist teaching is from the four noble truths that there is a suffering that suffering is caused by something so we want to endeavor to find out what the cause of that suffering is so in that first phase of my meditation practice, I'm really trying to arrive and settle into what is my agitation, how I'm feeling, how I maybe access even how I can relieve that agitation or state of dissatisfaction or discomfort. That's lately, especially lately, I can expound on the troubles and generally the hard time I've had practicing lately, but especially lately, I, my practice starts, I'm not going to say it ends with the suffering, but I don't go into it with any sort of idea. When I sit down and I'm being quiet and I'm going to meditate or look like I'm meditating, uh, it strictly is whatever comes to me, comes to me. And that's about as far as I get some days or some sessions, longer, shorter, whatever they are. But as the calendar fills up, as the obligations come back, as we're opening up out of this bizarro solitude we've been in, for some reason, that's the thing that gets pushed out of the way more often than not. Why do you think that is? Why do you think um, we do that? Well, because it's a lot easier to not face your discomfort. So for me, other people, if they do this, they may do it for a much different reason. Uh, but for me, it is absolutely, I get in my head, you know what, this thing that I need to do that's hard for me, this thing, these people that are calling me that want me to do the thing, it's hard. It takes energy. It's stressful. It takes time. I don't know how to do it always. So then I have to learn how to do it or I have to fine tune my craft in order to get it done. So there's work involved and it's hard. So all of a sudden, that, in my mind, takes all my energy. And so I say to myself, well, uh, you're out of juice and it's all right. And you don't need to sit down and focus on what your discomfort is. For me, it's an avoidance. It's 100% what it is. It's, so, it, it's perplexing a little bit because I, you know, I experience that as well. And as do you know, many of our uh, Sangha members that you know, I, I hear a lot you know, one particular friend that's close, you know, he stepped, you know, he just didn't practice for a year and really struggled with where to, where to find that and access that. And as soon as he started back, we're having a dialogue and he's like, it's so helpful. I don't know why I didn't embrace it when I really needed it. And we all, we all have that. And it's perplexing to me because it's like you have a headache and you know that the aspirin is in the cabinet, but you don't go get it. Instead, you just suffer Mm -hmm. where I know, I really do know when I sit down each day and I may not feel like taking 15 minutes or 20 minutes to have a meditation practice or longer, whatever it might be, that 
I sit down and I think, oh, here we go again. <laughs> but right? as soon as I do it, Dan, I when I yeah. get to sort of the end of it, I don't want it to end. I'm like, oh, that is so relieving. So I intellectually understand and know that. So I use it and know that I may not feel like doing it right now, but boy, does it really provide relief. So I do it. There's a devotional part that I just show up and get the work done by doing nothing. Actually, there's no work to do. It's just finding that that space where I let go of all of that stuff. I tend to hope one of my expectations in life, I stick this on everything and I fight with it constantly, is that there's an end point with, with everything. And I don't mean an end point of impermanence or change, or I mean an end point like, oh, I've been a lawyer for 20 years. Guess what? I don't have to learn anymore. I'm good. Oh, I've been in a relationship for two years. Oh, I don't have to try anymore. We're just settled in and I'm good until I'm gone. Mm. Uh, oh, uh, I fixed my yard and you know what? It's good for the whole rest of the year. I won't have to do a single thing. Like for some reason, I keep hoping there's some equilibrium that will occur and the work and the effort and the expectation will just fade away and all is well fantasy land right it's a complete fantasy land made up from whatever it is in my childhood or wherever it was that i learned that this was a way to survive on the planet and man I, that's my big struggle i have a tendency to slap that on meditation and practicing buddhism i understand and i tell that story all the time i love the monk that totally screws up once a year and acts like a regular person completely not like a buddha but then the next day he goes and acts like Buddha and he does it for a year. And then he comes back and repeats his thing. And it's the whole, when you are like Buddha, you are Buddha. It's odd. Like you say, you literally have a splitting headache. Aspirin works for you. You are three feet from the cabinet where the aspirin lives. And you sit there and stare at it. And you sit there and think about how bad your head hurts. You don't move a muscle. Right. I wish there was an answer for this. I know that meditating, I know that practice works. I know that doing it helps it, solves it, really is a solution. And yet, you know, too busy, too worried, too overworked, too tired, burnout, whatever, whatever label I like to stick on it so that I don't have to do it, I'll do that. I personally find the most useful focus of my attention in that period. So like when I'm suffering the most and I come to my meditation practice and I sit down on the, the seat and the seat's uncomfortable and my back hurts and there's a dog barking somewhere or the temperature's not right and I'm just prickly. Like I just sit down and I'm prickly. And I can take a few just centering breaths and by centering i mean the space right in front of me so taking a breath from that space and exhaling into that same space and 
realizing that the moment that I need to focus on is right in front of me. It's not thinking about the past. It's not thinking about the future, but really literally in front of me. If I open my eyes and sort of look at the panorama of what I can see, right in front of me is the living, breathing moment. And if I can place my attention there and keep it there for the entirety of that, that experience. So like, you know, in our daily meditations that I've been doing online on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, we have been this week really focusing on that, which we can see and smell, even taste, touch, that's right in front of us. And I, I really, I, I like the guidance of thinking about your attention like it's a toddler. And you know how you, you can put a toddler down in front of you and they may find something that warrants their attention right in front of you. But most likely they're going to find something across the room or yeah. away, you know, from that, that space right in front of you on the, on the carpet and they run off to do, 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 do. And you go and being the gentle guardian that you are, pick them up and bring them back and set them on the carpet in front of you again. And they may stay there for a while and then their attention gets diverted and they get up and da, 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 da. So we just continually nurture by bringing back, by bringing back, by bringing back. So our attention is a lot like that little toddler. And if we can just keep bringing it back into that space, and literally, if you need to open your eyes and just stare at the carpet that's in front of you to remind yourself here and now is where my focus needs to and should be. And also noticing the things that arise within that. So when your discomfort arises, a thought of discomfort arises, the sensation of discomfort arises. Maybe it's pain, maybe it's restlessness, um, burden of change that we're feeling over and over again that distracts us, that we can be aware from that space, from that present awareness. Oh, that looks like discomfort. Oh, that feels like discomfort. And with the attention to that discomfort, we can apply nurturing that needs to happen. It's just like bringing that toddler back and nourishing the toddler. You know, maybe the toddler just got into something that uh, he shouldn't have and bothered him or he hurt himself. And now you have to do a little bit of nurturing. So we do that with our attention. We do that with ourselves over and over again. Yeah, that's some of the little pithy mantras that, that the, of course, the big one is awake and aware, right? You say that mm -hmm. all the time as part of our practice, like awake and aware. I, I say that probably a thousand times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a day. Is that, a day. Is that yeah. the, that's the Pretty daily much. count. Yeah. So I've actually adopted that as you've offered it since you made it up and created it. Of course, <laughs> I, I will, I will say that to myself when I'm driving. I will say that when I'm in a phone call that's testy or 
um, you know, any, any, any life circumstance when I'm out these days, if I go to the store, you know, just slow it down, take a breath, wake and aware, wake and aware, right. wake and aware, wake and aware. I believe, I feel, I have convinced myself anyway, that actually these little moments, even as brief and tiny and, you know, not occurring in front of an altar or in my space or our temple that, that they actually count and they do matter and they absolutely. are part of a practice. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, uh, yeah. And there's a benefit to, you know, that continual reminder to be attentive, yeah. you know, awake and aware and awake, aware, awake and aware, awake and aware of what? So awake and aware of my own reactions. That's where the rubber meets the road. So we are now creating a different response instead of an, an habitual response that will, you know, take us down a road of reactivity. And now I'm reacting like a jerk because something stimulated me to roll down that hill. But instead when we stop it, because we are aware that we're having a reaction, that we're literally building a new neural pathway within our brains. So it's a new path and building a new muscle even. So we think about it as, you know, like a continual workout, our spiritual workout that brings us present, that changes, changes your future outcome. So I, I really like to point out that the benefit of our, our continual presence in this moment is the best place and really the only place that we can consciously affect our future. So as I'm bringing my attention to my own reactivity right now is when I can put a little bit of thought a little bit of intention between stimulus and response rather than just having that habitual and unconscious behavior. I can then apply some skillful action. I've, I've been practicing that for a long time. Years and years ago, the first time I ever went to counseling of all the people in the little town I lived in, I ended up with a counselor that was Buddhist or a Buddhist uh, practitioner. It, talk about karma or from some other lifetime it would have been, I'm sure. But uh, it, just just whatever caused that to happen is, is wonderfully timely. But she taught me a trick that was uh, a technique, I guess. It's not really a trick, although you sort of are tricking yourself. But the, the thing was, I used to have a really bad temper. And so what you're talking about, I get a little stimulus and then look out boy because it was raised voice red face intimidating the whole, whatever i could do whatever yeah very unhappy way to be uh very i didn't like myself because of it and as i got a little bit older and mature i could really understand that i didn't want to be like this so she teaches me this technique and the long and short is for me i learned to pay attention to my physical reaction maybe my fist would clench or my teeth would clench or you know it's stand up or sit down or cross my legs or whatever it would happen to be 
my temperature rises, my face flushes. Take your pick. If you stop and can catch yourself in the moment, you'll have some physical reaction. Your heartbeat speeds up, your breath shortens, something. We all all get that unless you're like World Series of Poker player probably. <laughs> so like if you're really cool and have got this down, wouldn't apply to you. So then she said, when you catch yourself in that moment, she goes, you, you put, she goes, put yourself on a stage in the theater, feeling you're on the stage, acting out that emotion, that feeling, that reaction. Then she puts another step on it. Pretend like you're sitting in the audience watching yourself. So now you really get to take a step back. It's, it was her, uh, that technique teaches you to separate yourself. Right. Observe from, the observer observe the observer then then you can before you do the response you can actually understand what you feel and have some control over what happens next so catching yourself in the moment now all of that for me now because i've been doing that for 20 years 20 years oh gosh uh 20 years <laughs> now instead of instead of what seems like this long arduous task I can generally get that into a bit of a breath, awake and aware, awake and aware, awake and aware. It takes practice. It takes practice. We're adults. We have habits. We don't like and like certain things. We have all the things that we're attached to, but it helps. Boy. Yeah. Right. Um, those brief, any brief moment you can get of, being awake and being aware, uh, super, super valuable, incredibly valuable. I think some of the arguments though, um, when, cause I, you know, I, I feel a real connection to reminding myself of the pith instruction of just being awake and aware this moment, only moment, you know, some of the feedback, I'm making air quotes, feedback <laughs> of, <laughs> some other of our, our participants, our Sangha members will say, but, but my past, but, you know, I'm trying to make sure my future, but this, but that, that we're trying to apply those doing tasks into this moment rather than just you know taking a step back and really getting a lay of the land seeing the 30,000 foot view of the terrain and also knowing that simultaneously we are on the terrain we are walking the path but also understanding you know that we have the ability to see sort of that google map view of where we're going at the same time so when we're in that moment of awareness, we have that simultaneous view that is the Google Maps and the path under your foot that we can see we are working a path. We are on the relative plane as well as this ultimate plane. So... Let's say I come up to you after some Sunday service and I'm like, look, I appreciate what you said about being compassionate to yourself and other people, but I get really pissed off when people don't wear a mask in the grocery store and then like they bump their cart into mine or, and I'm not, no matter what you tell me, like, I'm not going to change that because why would I? Because my health is at risk. Right. 
So what are you going to, what, what do you do? What, what do you say as a teacher? The experience lies with you and we know, we know that we can't correct or control anyone else. So knowing what we know and knowing that we are experiencing fear in that, in that moment, when I'm in the grocery store and I see the person who's invading my space without a mask, I am feeling anxiety and fear and some pissed off anger because you're in my space and you're threatening my well-being. So that feels really raw. But I'm also understanding at my best I'm understanding that I am having a reaction to this human experience, a human reaction to a human experience. So it's my choice what to do with it. So I could react badly and start swinging, you know, slinging insults or in my mind, I could be judging. So body, speech, and mind, I could be swinging, I could be yelling, and I could be judging all at once. But is that really effective? So if I'm really in danger of that person being too close, that person being dismissive of what I feel is a right way of being, I make the decision and back away. I make the decision and take myself out of that reactive situation. Yeah, that's, uh, again, we're back to perception and reality, right? That's a, that's a huge part of, I think, what you were saying about walking on the path while being able to understand that you're on the path sort of thing. You, you take the 30,000-foot view, and there's your path. Of course, there's the whole rest of the world and all the things that are in it and all the things of everything. And yet you're still the one that has to walk on the path and stub your toe on a rock and make a turn every now and then that's a that is such a big part of discomfort because it's your perception that creates it as we were talking about earlier that's my that's my biggest barrier especially these days to practice what's well, very helpful i uh, i wanted to throw out one more thing that i like to do on uh, a very one of my little small little practices that i sneak in when people don't know i'm doing it uh <laughs> And I've even done this literally uh, in court in the, it, it, let's say I'm arguing a motion or something. I'll do it because lawyers like to talk a lot. So you get a lot of breaks, the other guy's arguing or gal. And so I'll literally, I mean, I'll even close my eyes and I, I, I focus on my breath and I breathe in. And in my mind, when I'm breathing in, I say, ohm, and then I hold it. Ah. Uh, and then I exhale, and that's whom. And I'll do it for a few seconds each. I try to, for me, it's helpful to be like, not like gasping and not like holding your breath for two minutes and you're gonna pass out. Just a, just a very simple and very subtle, om, ah, whom. Boy, it slows me down. Yeah, As I if stop. you're inwardly chanting is the, you know, is the absolutely pith, pith and you know direction on that is to mm -hmm. inwardly chant the om, the ah, and the whom. For me, it works absolute wonders. 
not only do I stop like trying to figure out what the person is going to say next and how I'm going to respond, I just get to slow down and take a break. Yeah. And I can then, when it's my turn to talk again, when it's my turn to sort of re-enter my situation, I get to, I get to do it gracefully and controlled and intentionally. It, it is a, it is incredible. I did it on a phone call the other day. Uh, it is incredibly valuable. So, yeah. and it takes seconds, literally right. seconds. So just to take an awareness breath, like mm-hmm. call it what it is. I need to take a breath of awareness and breathe in my awareness, breathe out my awareness. It's really your attention. It's the attention to your attention. I also want to yeah. clarify too, like the, in a lot of the teachings, we talk about relative and ultimate reality. I want to be very clear that because the ultimate stuff sounds like, what is all that? Right. That seems like too big. Let me be very clear on how to understand ultimate reality. And you do that through your relative reality. So through your own experience, through the introspection of I am feeling agitated and we'll go back to the grocery store example that I'm standing in line and now someone's invaded my space and my ears, my ears get red um, when (laughs) I get, and I feel the heat of them just like glowing. It's like Rudolph's nose, but my ears, I start to, you know, my breath gets short. And in that moment, I feel panic and anger from that panic that's arising and the and the need to defend there's a real visceral response that is going on in my physical body to the situation in the relative introspection of what's going on and understanding taking that look inside myself and it's not always so easy in the moment to really see oh here's what i'm feeling it's the retrospective look that is helpful so when you get home and oh i had a really bad reaction to that guy that was in my space or that woman that was in my space and i was feeling some kind of way so when I get home and I kind of take that breath and introspection when I'm calm, what was I really feeling in that moment? And I can, I've done this enough that I can, I can really distill it down to what was my fear? What was my fear in that moment? Well, that I was going to be exposed and like, that's the ultimate, I have to get away from that thing that is threatening me. So in that I'm looking for my own reaction And it's not blame. I'm not looking to blame the other person for violating my space and therefore causing this thing within me. It's all cause and effect in me. So I'm reflecting on my own experience. Oh, I was really feeling fear in that moment. And we know that the agitation of that fear then builds to anger that builds to rage, that builds to violence. If we continually are in that, that space and we're going to react badly, right? We're going to, yep. we're going to oh, yeah. act unskillfully oh, yeah. and I'm going to have a reaction. So post reaction, bring, bring on the inner teenager. Oh yeah. Right. Oh, at least 
Maybe yeah. that inner, inner toddler that's inner toddler. There you go. Stomps sure. his feet and screams mm-hmm. and you know gets red in the face and of yeah. course. So yeah. when I take that look, that really introspective look into what it was like for me in that moment and know that retrospectively I was reacting from fear and here's how it went that I can understand that. And I want you, you know, I want you or anybody else who's endeavoring into this to be really compassionate. Oh, that was, that was my human response to a a human experience. And in doing that, then we, have an understanding. We have an understanding of what causes that bad, unskillful action. It was the unskillful reaction that we experienced. So then we can see that in someone else. So then ultimately we can see that reaction when we're you know, watching the news, we're watching, you know, the interaction that didn't involve us on the other end of the the checkout aisle. We can see compassionately what was going on and we can understand it. And therefore our reaction now to that situation is different. We're not judging someone else for having a human reaction because we can see it in ourselves and therefore see it in them. Compassion for self. Wise compassion. Really wise compassion. So the more we do that, the more we do that with ourselves, we always have to start with understanding our own reactions. I would say I'm a pretty reactive person at my core. So I have certainly that, that, that little toddler that will, uh, get red faced and wants to stomp his feet and, and scream inside. I, as an adult, don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that uh, a lot, but the inner me is doing that. So I'm compassionately trying to see, okay, I'm having a reaction and I can take a step back out of that reaction and have now a skillful behavior that comes from it. It's wonderful. And boy, when you, when you do it, when you put this in action, again, it's more proof. It's literal proof and a solution to hard feelings and hard situations and preventing them, you know, in, in changing, like you said, your neural pathway and changing your habit and changing your behavior in preparing for something like it that will happen at some point again, you don't know about. Boy, so so it's so very powerful. Yeah. This this is this is real power. This in this idea of enlightenment, of awakened awareness, of awakened aware, of shunyata, like all of it. It's all oh, it's so very powerful if you practice. Yeah, absolutely. You have to practice, boy. I am living proof that practice you can. You make strides, you take a step back, two steps forward, and, you know, practice, practice, practice. Right. It's a continual it is. exercise, continual exercise. So when we sit, you know, and again, to clarify, when we sit on the seat, 
when we sit down on a cushion in front of a Buddha statue and we lit a candle and some incense and do that thing, we're practicing. We're really practicing to be in our best awareness so that when we are faced with chaos or discomfort in front of us, that we may have a different skill set to that cause and effect. And remembering also that I wanted to make a point today to, to say that bliss is an outcome of meditation and not the destination. We often experience bliss when we're sitting, when we're on the cushion and we, oh, that was so beautiful. And I saw purple colors and I was, you know, I was not in my body and this and that. And that's awfully good. It's awfully good to experience <laughs> that, but shouldn't, right. be ex shouldn't be expected. So it's, yeah. you know, it's one of uh, numerous outcomes. You could just sit and be awake and aware that you're feeling agitated. And there is, there is great, great understanding that comes from that. So I, you know, it's not a secret that, you know, I got to a practice of meditation through headaches, through migraines. And I have learned over the years that turning away from the pain doesn't get me anywhere if I'm trying to have some relief from that suffering. Instead, I turn straight into it. And I know that sounds, you know, for those who experience pain, that sounds like a really uncomfortable thing. But when you can learn to separate the pain from the suffering, then you can experience the pain as a sensation and understanding that the suffering is the reaction to the pain. So if I can quell oh. my reaction to the pain, I can then look at the pain as a sensation and I can stare right into it. And it's not uncomfortable. You can feel, oh, that's, that's what pain feels like without the reactivity. It's a bit like, uh, just like dissecting the frog in high school. You're taking apart this, this thing that's this feeling in you. You're talking about taking it apart and understanding right. the right. pieces. And I often, you know, my, my instruction is often pull that apart pull that apart. Right. Right. So when we start to pull apart, you know, the components of an experience, there are multiple components and one, you know, is actually the sensation and one is the reaction to the sensation. Those are the two main parts. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'm with you. Yep. Good stuff, so, Buddha. Good stuff. So as we start to pull that apart and understand that we are, you know, actually working toward understanding our own discomforts, understanding them to the point of compassion towards that response, that we can then turn that toward understanding of others. It's one of my favorite lessons, compassion. You say it, you said it several times. Being generous with other people is being compassionate to yourself. Being compassionate with yourself is being compassionate with others. Absolutely.
Because when we learn that compassion for ourselves and are able to continually provide that as a response to our own reactions, to our own experiences, that we then seamlessly provide that for others. We share that with others. When I understand my own response, I can understand someone else's response. Yep. Which in turn keeps you from jumping into the big giant ball of reactions. Yeah. Yeah. So remember that meditation practice is not just taking a bliss break. We're actually working toward facing and understanding the nature of our discomforts by first recognizing that we're experiencing discomfort and then seeking the underlying cause of that discomfort. Remember that meditation practice is not just taking a bliss break. We're actually working toward facing and understanding the nature of our discomforts by recognizing that we are experiencing discomfort and then seeking the underlying cause of that discomfort allows us to face that dissatisfaction with wise and compassionate action and then further allows us to find a state of calm abiding while simultaneously relieving our reactions. Simply said, awareness of our discomfort and also the cause of that discomfort allows us a clear view which enables us to relieve our own suffering. Thanks to all our listeners from around the globe. And thanks to my cohort and friend, Danny Hobart. Dan, thank thanks. You, thank you. Thank you, Paulo. Uh, as always for this and folks, remember meditate as fast as you can. Bye everyone. <laughs>